You're listening to Rosie on the House. Back Arizona, it's our outdoor living hour, second Saturday of the month. So we're talking trees with ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower. Integrity Saver Tree, a Rosie on the House certified partner. You can find it at rosieonthehouse.com and the tree care category. If you'd like to talk trees, one 767 4348 That's one 888 rosie Text questions can be sent to 411 at 923 or email info at rosieonthehouse.com like Glenn Patton did at 7.42 this morning with some pictures of a struggling Italian cypress that we'll get to. But first, we cover our tree of the month, and we're trying to decide at the office this week, is it really a tree? Is it really a tree? (laughs) Well, uh, the tree of the month this month is a saguaro cactus. And yes, by all definitions, it is a tree. It's because as tall as trees. The typical <laughs> definition is it's a perennial plant that has a main a, a main a main stem. It uh, stands upright on its own, so opposed to a, a, a vine or a shrub, um, and it has arms, so or or branches. And the arms of a swirl cactus you just would qualify can't for a branch. Trusses out of these trees. <laughs> no, you can't. There's no lumber. There's no lumber. They do grow uniquely. They have some very unique morphological. Um, uh, uh, dimensions and it's a it's a very cool plant. It doesn't have leaves, but it does have spines and it has pleats. If you look at them closely, uh, the the uh, sides of a saguaro cactus are are pleated like a, an accordion, and those pleats can swell uh, to when they gather water, and then they can shrink when they're losing water. And actually, a swore cactus can be uh, lose up to twenty five percent of its size as it's you know losing water over the course of a dry, a dry summer, and then as soon as they get those seasonal rains, the uh, pleats fill back up, and uh, a swore cactus can store that water for I long like periods of time. Hump on a camel's back. That's those right. Long yeah, spines no, all the way up. They're an amazing um, uh, a plant. It's the largest um, cactus in America. In fact, they can grow to be about 45 or 50 feet tall, although some have been uh, reported to have been as tall as 70 or 80 feet tall. Uh, the uh, There are other, interestingly, there are other plants, swirl-like swor- plants, um, that grow in other parts of, of um, the uh, uh, this part of the world. In Baja, California, we have the cordon, which is like a swirl, a little bit chunkier, a little fatter. And then they have some other ones in South America that are actually taller than the swirl, but they are, you know, very uh, uh, different plants altogether in, in terms of their their species. But they are uh, they're a lot alike. But the swirl is an awesome plant. It's uh, you know got a lot of um, it's kind of a bird hotel. If you notice, its ecological contribution is just amazing with the insects and birds that it attracts, and a lot of birds, you know burrow into the cactus for water and also to create little homes. And uh, that's not a bad thing. Some people say, is it bad to let birds peck holes? Well, no, you know, that's part of the uh, the ecological contribution the tree is making. You know, the saguaro uh, often relies upon a nurse plant to get started. They grow like an inch or maybe an inch and a half per year for like the first eight years. So if you've got a, a one-foot-tall saguaro in your yard, it's usually about 10 years old. 
And But then once the root system gets established, as go the roots, so go the shoots. So as that root system of the little cactus gets further out of radially from the plant and starts gathering more nutrients and water, then, of course, the, the, up, the vertical growth will take off after that about eight or, uh, eighth or tenth year. But most saguaros are growing under what's called a nurse tree, under a mosquito, a poly, you know, typically a polyverde because it provides the needed shelter and shade for that little um, swore cactus to get started. Interestingly, as a swore gets older, usually the nurse plant is more short-lived, so it often dies, and then the decomposing wood of the nurse plant... Continues pro- to nurse the s- Well, it provides the, the nutrients around the base of that swore cactus for it to take off for the next 50 years. In about 35 years, the, the swore will produce some bloom... And a, and a flower and a fruit, and after about 50 years, it'll produce its first arm. So if you've got a, a, a cactus with an arm, it's at least 50 years old, sometimes up to 75 years old, and they grow at the rate of the of available precipitation. And, of course, if they're in a nice area where there's a little bit more water, uh, top, topographically, you're getting a little bit more uh, water running to it. They'll f- grow a little, a little more quickly. Uh, in our built environments, you know, people often ask, you know, should we put water on our cacti? Well, they'll they'll enjoy a little bit of a supplemental water and not just living off of the uh, the seasonal rain we get. But just be careful you don't overwater your cactus because they need that, that root zone to dry out just like other trees dry out between watering, but especially cactus. You don't want to be uh, putting the emitters right up next to the base of a swore or any one of your cactus. You'll set up conditions for fungal pathogens to get in and start to attack them. Speaking of which, swore cactus do have an enemy, and it's called bacterial necrosis. It's a bacterial disease that is very common, and uh, they um, uh, can—bacterial necrosis has been responsible for the death of thousands and thousands of swore cactus, and it's a pretty um, uh, virulent uh, 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 disease— that once it gets into the plant, it invades the vascular system. If it's caught early and it's it's carried sometimes by birds, they'll bring it in, and they'll um, or you'll see it uh, localized in one of the arms, maybe near one of the uh, the boots, the swarrow boots that one of the birds has created. And if you can remove some of the uh, fleshy material of the of the uh, of the cactus uh, to try to carve out some of that infected uh, area, sometimes you can get ahead of it. And, and sometimes give your tree a little bit better chance of survival. But if that bacteria is allowed to stay in the tree at wherever it's located, it, and once it travels through the entire system of the saguaro, it will start to kill the, kill the, the tree. It's kind of a slow death, but it's a, uh, once you start to see your saguaro start to lean or you start to see the green um, uh, outer skin of the saguaro start to turn a little bit yellow, uh, you can. It's a good indication that you have that bacterial necrosis, and just be careful because uh, swirls can be up to a ton in weight, and once they start losing arms, uh, I, I, your your mom's. I was looking across at, at Rosie here. Your mom has had a beautiful swirl there on the east side of her house, and it has lost an arm or two. I I remember I took one down with a thud. Yes, a big thud. Kaboom. Yeah, you heard it come down. She did. Well, I was over there a couple of years ago, and I and I the tree was leaning a bit. I saw one big arm on the tree. It had lost one arm already, and then it was so unbalanced on the side where it was leaning. 
I went ahead and took my pole saw and cut that other arm off because it was just a matter of time before it pulled the whole tree over. So I, I gave it a, another couple years of life, you know, because by, by kind of equalizing the weight. Because I'd rather lose one arm than lose the whole thing. But, it's yeah. amazing. There's a, there's a sawara, and a good-sized sawara, probably 30 feet tall, multi-armed, in our neighborhood that's listing yeah. at least 20 <laughs> or 25 degrees. I mean, I expect to see it down yeah. every morning I drive past it. It's amazing how it holds itself up. I know. We, we have one right on the corner, just two doors down from our house. And our neighbor, my neighbor and I were just saying this, this week, when is that going to go down? Yeah, put a neighborhood lottery together. <laughs> I know. I know. And, well, fortunately, it's leaning out toward the street, so hopefully it won't fall into the house. But, the, uh, yeah, once you get a bit of a lean on your sore, just start to monitor it. Be careful. You can do as we've done with several sore over the years is, is take off an arm or two on the, on the downside, the lean side of the tree, and it can sometimes give the tree another five, ten years of life. Just, just be careful because they can be tall and be dangerous when they come down. Now, I don't remember the chemical, but in Arizona Highway's book, All About Saguaros, they have discovered in decaying saguaro, it creates a chemical, that's the, and that's the only place in Arizona this particular chemical occurs. And I'm trying to find it right now, but I can't remember what it was, but I thought that was an interesting thing. And when a saguaro dies, you know, you can repurpose it as well. I know in homes, like uh, you were talking about at Baby Cage, yeah. you know, we chop up the limb and we haul it off. But, you know, those saguaro... The ribs. the ribs inside ribs. are a yeah, decorative they're, they're staple amazing. of, you know, the Southwest. Sure, sure. To make fence posts and make roofs and walking sticks, you name it. They're just a wonderful wood supply. Uh, and to the Native Indians, too, you know, Native Americans use them for lots lots of building uh, supplies as well. The thing is, you can't take them out of the desert. There's a permitting process. You can't just take those uh, those cactus carcasses and, and move them out of the desert. You need to be very careful about There's a permitting process for even moving dead saguaros. So just be careful of that. If you plan to move, remove, or even sell your own saguaro, you can do that. You just need to get a permit from the Department of Agriculture. They're about eight or, eight or $10. It's not very expensive. Um, but you do need to notify the Department of Agriculture that you're planning to even move it on your own property because they are protected species. And, and you can even sell them, but you need to be sure you get the permit first. If you see people selling them and you want to buy one on the side of the street, just be sure you ask for the permit. If they don't have a permit, don't buy it uh, because then you're, you're on the hook for transporting and moving a saguaro to your property without a permit, and you could be liable for the fines connected with that. So, yeah, beautiful uh, plants, uh, iconic, um, you know, defining plant of the Sonoran Desert, and they're only here in Arizona and, Me and northern Mexico and a couple uh, in, in, in California, but predominantly in the Sonoran Desert. This is our, our baby, and it defines who we are here in the, in the West. And one of the reasons, the bloom is our state flower. Yes. And, and, I, and it's usually uh, right as you're getting into the super hot heat of the summer, the, the hottest time of the year, you got yeah. the saguaro bloom to yeah, add they put that on, white They put color. on their bloom only after 35 years, so you've got to have one that's at least that old to put on a bloom. And then, as I said, you know, up to 50 years before it gets its first arm. 
And then they can live to be about 150, 200 years old. Some of the oldest ones are can be over 200 years old, which is pretty cool. Well, we've got a couple of people that have emailed in pictures of their trees. We'll get those up online and get their questions answered. Uh, one pertaining to an ash tree, one pertaining to a, a cypress Italian cypress. We've also got a couple texts in at 411923. We'll cover those. And phone, if you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. Interesting conversation about saguaro, a lot I didn't know about. Very cool. Very cool plant altogether. I, I just, uh, I'm just, i just totally amazed. The longer I'm here in Arizona, we took a trip up to uh, earlier this week up to uh, Four Peaks. And that's such a cool drive to go from the 87 over to the 188. And you can drive up into some of those right up to the foot of the, um, the mountain before you hit the, the National the Four Peaks Wilderness area where you have to park your car because there's no motorized vehicles inside the wilderness. But what a cool transition zone. You're right there with the swore cactus a thousand feet below and you move up just that thousand feet of road and you get into the pinion pine, you get into the junipers, you get into the ponderosas when you're right up at the, yeah. right up in the top, right at that parking area, right at the, where that hike begins, uh, right at the base of Brown's Peak. But what a cool transition zone. If you want a quick drive out of Phoenix, a day, a day trip, you can take a car up there. You know, you need to be kind of careful because it's waffle board and a little bit of rough road. But a typical um, a car can make it up there pretty easily. You weren't out there Thursday by chance, were you? Well, it was uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, okay. So, <laughs> so you went right by Pumpkin Center the day before the Barksdales I were did. captured right I there. I did. I thought of that when I saw that, when I saw that report. I, I drove right through. They were there when I was there. Dear Lord. Yeah. No, it was a, that was quite a, a, quite a nice day trip out to um, doing a little hunting, actually. Yeah, that's it. I was a- on my way up to a consultation up there. Just beautiful in this time of year to get, just to get that heat off and, just that 20-degree uh, difference in temp is so so refreshing. The view's not bad either. Not bad at all. Oh, my goodness. And that transition, if you take the Young Road from, you know, you go through. 288. And you're starting from the desert. And, you know, when by the time it peaks out at the top of the Mogollon Rim, mm-hmm. you know, you're the only thing you're missing. Well, not the only the thing. Alpine. But is, is, is uh, you know, you're not quite high enough there for Aspen yet. Yeah. But that transition of desert to the ponderosa pine well arizona is unique in that a lot of geologists so biologists amazing. come here specifically for that because there's not too many places in the world where you can you can travel through as many biomes uh in a two-hour drive you can travel through you know six biological regions just from the low desert to uh, above above the tree line uh, at san francisco peaks amazing you know between here and, and flagstaff so yeah we are very blessed to be here You'll have that uh, quick access to the mountains, but be down in the low desert if you want it a little bit warmer. So we'll get to our first uh, email that came in early this morning in our Arizona hour at 730. Glenn has some Italian cypress that look... uh, Not so good. They don't look them so good. I know. Well, you know, I appreciate um, him sending in... um, This is Glenn? Glenn. Sending in the photos along with his request because we took a quick glance at them, you know, on the break. 
and it's nice to be able to diagnose from pictures. Today, with our modern technology, we do a lot of um, long-distance diagnosis. You know, it's not as good as being on site, and it doesn't replace a, a good site visit, which is often needed to take a soil sample and to do some further excavation. But the photos do help. So if you do ever have some questions, feel free to, to send them to us, you know, by, by email or even text, and we can uh, take it from there. And then have an intelligent conversation by phone. It's one thing to be taking a call like this, but it's um, over the air, uh, which is difficult as it is. But to have that photo to, uh, to give us some heads up, it's really helpful. Uh, with those uh, Italian cypress, Glenn, uh, it's a, uh, it serves as a warning to all of us that whenever you plant non-native plants, uh, you're going to have some challenges that you don't have with native plants. It's an argument for being very uh, careful when we're planting uh, trees like uh, Italian cypress. Although they're pretty drought tolerant and are adapted to the conditions here, they are a little bit difficult to get started. Uh, my first thing I thought of um, with the ones that, from looking at your photos was that they possibly are planted too deep, and the water is um, that might be overwatered. Uh, putting water right at the base of those Italian cypress and not allowing that soil to dry out between waterings, as I've warned many times, can set up conditions for fungal pathogens to become active and start attacking the root system, especially that that uh, that root collar, which is that a transition zone between the trunk where the trunk you you know go down the trunk and it eventually will become root material. Well, right at that transition zone is called the root collar, and it's very susceptible to fungal activity. When it's uh, um, Phytophthora or other uh, soil-borne uh, fungal pathogens uh, start destroying the cambium at the base of the plant, the base of your trunk at that root collar, uh, the, the tree, it, it destroys the tree's ability to uptake water and nutrients, and you'll see the above-ground dieback. And that's what I'm suspecting is going on there. The other thing, with that it could be, uh, would be uh, uh, spider mites, which love cypress, Italian cypress, and they get active. And if a heavy infestation of spider mites that's left unattended can often uh, lead to decline and death of, of Italian cypress. So you might want to um, do a little investigation, see if they have any spider mites. See little tiny spider webs uh, between the branching, you, you might have spider mites. Of all the trees I've shed a tear for that we've had to cut down or tear out because it was dying, I've never dropped one over an Italian cypress. Well, I didn't want to say that because I didn't want to hurt Glenn's feelings, but that's one of those trees that, that we uh, don't, um, uh, yeah, we, we don't like to have to ma maintain them sometimes because they're a high-maintenance tree. More with John Eisenhower at, from Integrity Save a Tree here at Rosie on the House right after this. Join the conversation to talk trees. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Text four one one nine two three and email info at rosieonthehouse.com. We'll come back with an email we got from Queen Creek. Dave's got a question on some Arizona ash trees. His bark and bite, they're about the same. Talking trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the House. So the inquiring mind wants to know, Gary, has John bitten you? <laughs> bitten me? Well, your promo, it said his bark and his bite are oh. about the same. No. He's been gentle so far. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. I don't... <laughs> Unless he gets bacterial necrosis and then starts foaming. So I don't want to get here. 
It's a tie-in with the theme, that's all. I thought it was some connection to Eric Clapton, if you got the Clapton bite, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. oh well, maybe. You, <laughs> lead in music. You could buy tonight. He's in town. That's right, I heard. That's great. So we've got, before we get to our list here of our to-dos and the and the tree world for the month. We've got David, who's got this ash tree we were looking at earlier, and he's noticed a couple in his area. It's a, looks like from the background, a developed area of Queen Creek. It's not one of the old irrigated pasture. This is in a, mm-hmm. uh, a community development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked at those photos as well. Uh, ash trees, again, are one of those plants that uh, need a lot more water than we normally give them in a typical desert landscape. So if you have a, a mesic landscape, one that has a little bit more water, uh, they're, they're more suitable for that type of a lawn setting where they're going to get some, uh, some regular irrigation. But, you know, we have a, a native Arizona ash, which, you know, grows in our waterways, our ravines, and our riparian areas across the state, and they, they do quite well. Uh, and so if you have a more desert-adapted, you know, variety, and there's a couple that are available in the nurseries, they do pretty well. Um, I like them. The symptoms of a decline that this um, this listener uh, mentioned was uh, the dieback of specific branches, larger branches that, you know, the tree will just lose a branch at a time. This is um, it sounds very typical of what's called ash decline. It is a uh, a, a blight. A, a a disease problem that has you know been very common throughout my entire arboricultural career for over 30 years I've heard of this and seen it in the landscape where you have a, a otherwise perfectly healthy ash tree that begins to lose a branch at a time and it dies all the way back to the point of attachment at the trunk usually and it, there's no known you know kind of cure for this and actually it's I, I haven't read that there's even a a, a a uh, isolation of a, a specific pathogen responsible for it. They think it must be viral, uh, but it um, possibly could relate, be related to um, underground problems with the tree, related to the root system. Maybe there's a fungal pathogen active, and, and it, th- this is just a tree dying back, uh, pulling back on certain parts of the, the plant. It's discouraging, though, because you, you remove the dead branch because it's dead, and then the following year, you get another branch dying. It's a very slow but, but methodical death of, of ash trees. And it's uh, typical of, of your shambles. You don't see this so often in, in your Arizona ash and some of the native ash trees. It's more common in some of these other uh, species. So uh, uh, my condolences, you know, because sometimes these once you start losing some branches on your ash trees, there's, there's, you know, they're open to more sunburn. Any of the smooth bark trees like the ash are subject to are very vulnerable to sunburn, very thin, light colored bark, uh, and then the decline can be uh, can be kind of steady over a prolonged period of time. Something else that Stephen, uh, by the way, last month Stephen Price you know, did a great job hosting the program while while we were away on our 40th anniversary trip. Um, oh, I didn't realize it was a 40th wedding anniversary. Yes, Congratulations. Yes, thank you very much. It was really nice to have that, that, that couple weeks off to visit our kids up in the Portland area. Uh, but Steve did a great job. But during Steve's broadcast, he mentioned uh, the, these sometimes complex um, uh, decline uh, syndromes where we get a, a multiple uh, f- uh, stress factors that affect plants. And, you know, when we, in our diagnostic process, it's so uh, tempting to want to try to find an ice, a single 
um, uh, problem uh, that we can we can treat. And sometimes there are. Sometimes it's a sim- you know a simple uh, one stress factor that we can I- isolate and then and then treat. But quite often there are issues with our our, our temperature. Then there's uh, sometimes we'll have a sunburn issue, and then flat-headed boars come in, and then you have some uh, some cankers will um, will will f- uh, begin to invade some of those areas of decline in the tree, and over it's kind of the, a death by a thousand cuts, and we sometimes have to learn to see the tree as a whole and identify all the different stress factors that can compound and become uh, um, the. Um, the kind of a disease complex that eventually brings a tree or, or a plant down. So just, uh, yeah, with the ash trees, I think there's a lot of factors. One, unsuitability for our climate and soil. There was a and conversation. Then, and then add those other factors in as disease issues and, and sunburn and, and the others. And uh, you can begin to see that, that uh, it's, it's all of those things combined which end up end up causing these declines. There was a conversation I overheard at one of the Arizona Community Tree Council's annual tree conference. They have in Prescott every September. And it was about the fact uh, classifying ash trees as not a legacy tree because of their, they only live expected life less than 30 years in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good call. And even some of our stone fruits, like our plums, you know, are, are, are good for maybe 10 or 12 years. And so, you know, when you think about putting in a purple leaf plum, beautiful accent tree, but if you have one that lives beyond 15 years, you're lucky because they they do have a lifespan that's much shorter than some of these, uh, what we might call a legacy tree, which you want to live there uh, generation to generation, you know, 50, 70, 100 years. All right. Let's get to a couple of our to-dos on our, uh, ta- on our tree calendar here. Yeah. You know, this is a – as the temperatures begin to drop, I think they're dropping. <laughs> this is 105 degrees in late September. Yeah, the uh, – um, you can begin to to do a little bit more pruning on some of your trees that we were telling you know you to kind of back off, lighten your hand on your pruning. Uh, but this is a great time of year to begin uh, scheduling your pruning for mesquites and other trees that may require uh, twice a year pruning. We do have some more vigorous trees which have a difficult time getting through an entire year cycle uh, with a single pruning, and they. This is a great time to prune some of those mesquites. We do a lot of summer pruning or early, late summer, I'm sorry, late spring, early summer pruning of our uh, mesquite trees for kind of pre-monsoon. And then this time of year between September and November, we'll prune them a second time just to alleviate end weight, get them looking their best for the holiday season. So a good time to be thinking about that, uh, getting on the schedule. Also, if you're overseeding your lawn, this is a, a great time to be pruning first. Do your pruning now. Uh, you've got a few weeks left um, uh, to get that done. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're, you'll end up pulling the, uh, the, uh, your, your brush from the trees right over your new grass, which takes an, a month or so to get established. So uh, best to try to get that pruning done soon. Also, late fertilization. We, you know, we have a, a, an early, mid, and late um, fertilization program, and uh, your late season begins now and runs through really uh, November. A good time to get on the schedule. By the way, if if you want to have your three times a year uh, uh, scheduling fertilizer scheduled, now's a great time because we 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 renew those um, those schedules in in November every year. So that between November and January, you can get that all scheduled out and ready to go. So you hit the road running for 2020. 
So if you are um, wanting to get onto that three times a year schedule for your queen palms and your other, um, other uh, your citrus and other other trees, uh, this is a great time to do that. Also, it's something I forget every year, and I think about it usually in January, and it's too late then. This is a great time to be planting your wildflower seeds, and if you, uh, um, this is the time to kind of. Uh, scarify the soil, put down your, your wildflower seeds, water them in uh, between now and, and the uh, end of the year, uh, just as you would be watering others on a you know, regular basis. And then in the spring, you'll have a beautiful bloom of, of wildflowers in your yard. So if you want that beautiful uh, display of wildflowers in some area of your yard, now's your time to get the uh, check with your local nursery for available seed. And, and what, get that seed down now. And are those African poppy seeds I'm out, I'm asking for for those wildflowers? African daisies. African daisies. Okay. Yeah, yeah that that's would what be, I'm looking um, for. I every spring I see those and think I'm not going to miss another planting season. I know. And that's been like 12 years, and I still haven't gotten one. <laughs> well, you know, you can go. You know, one one way to get the seeds is to go to those people in the late spring when those flowers are starting to die, and ask if you can go just collect some of the some of the plants that have. Have, have bloomed, uh, have have dried up. Yeah, because they'll just be loaded with those little um, African daisy seeds. Oh, we used to collect those as kids, and and then we could, you know, you just get them in, a, keep them in a jar, and then put them in right now. Now's your time of year to get those down. Get that bold orange color in the spring, yeah, yellow and orange. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see some of those yards that are just covered, you know, corner to corner with African daisies. And it's not like it takes any additional watering; they grow naturally. So yeah, it's usually not like there's enough seasonal rain to to support them. Yeah. But you want to get them started in the in the fall, so that they, they do rely rely upon a little bit of fall and and winter rain to sustain them. So a little bit of help on your part with the garden hose will help to get them started. Yes, um, the phones have been very active, but Jennifer's not put anybody up for us to take, so she's she's a hard one to screen. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Maybe you can get through. We've got, but I tell you, the email has been very active today, and we'll do a fast round. But you have a couple more points you want to hit before. Well, we just move? one more. I just okay. wanted to mention this is a great time of year to be putting down some wood chips um, underneath your trees. Wood chips have, you know, as opposed to finished compost, have been shown to be an amazing uh, contributor to, to tree health. And uh, wood chips have not decomposed yet, so they have a lot of nitrogen uh, to give back to the soil, back to your plants. So they're going to be uh, promoting a little bit of nitrogen cycling under, underneath your trees. If you're raking up all the leaves in your yard, you're taking the nitrogen source away that would otherwise have decomposed and return that nitrogen back to the soil back to the trees for use. But if we're raking our leaves and throwing them away, uh, putting wood chips down b- below a tree, um, preferably out to the drip line, but anywhere around the base of the tree would be great as far as, as you can uh, afford to, to put them down. Uh, it's dust control. It's weed control. It moderates the soil temperature. When I say moderates, it doesn't just reduce the soil temperature in the summer. It also keeps the, the soil temperatures warm during the winter. So wood chips are going to moderate the soil temperature all the time, keeping it at a constant uh, temperature that's conducive to root development underneath there. It also is going to be improving the, the soil microbiology because that layer, interestingly, that layer of wood chips is giving back a lot to the soil. It creates an environment for uh, not just the nutrient recycling, but producing the, a layer of, 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 uh, of soil just below the, the wood chips. The, the, that top layer of soil will begin to be an active zone for 
a lot of microorganisms to get out to, to begin a lot of beneficial bacteria, and it will encourage a lot of um, root growth. Just an amazing difference. If your plants are a little peaked and a little stressed right now, late summer, we just, my wife and I have a couple of beautiful vines that are in pots, and we're just thinking, are they, is it time to replace them? But I, I'm wondering if it's just that late season doldrums, you know, where the trees are just kind of hanging on and waiting for the cooler temperatures. That's what we're thinking. So we're just going to give them another year, see if they bounce back in the fall. How many of you have seen your roses all of a sudden push some new bloom just about this time of year? They've had their big spring flush, of course, but late, you know, late in the summer, early fall, sometimes uh, our our roses have a kind of a, a renaissance. They'll push out a few new blooms right now. And I think some of our trees and shrubs are are right at that stage where they've had a long, hot summer, and they're just hunkering down, waiting for a little cooler, a little reprieve from the hot weather. Well, now's a great time. Put down some wood chips. Encourage that that um, that that soil, that, that mod, you know, moderation of the soil temperatures, and uh, you, you'll be amazed at what it'll do. It'll just perk your plants up. The expert that's brave enough to say the word, deciduous. Talking trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. Number of digital questions that has come have come in. This one's from a 602 area code, although that doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. You used to be able to tell those geographically, but with cell phones, uh, it's not always quite a guarantee. But there's a this is about a Chinese pistache starting to lose leaves. It's 18 years old. Some are yellowing, have brown spots. Any idea what's wrong? This might go back to what you were saying about just that end of summer hunker down. Well, um, I can produce the pronounce the the word deciduous. <laughs> it, it, you know, uh, pistache trees are deciduous. They do lose their leaves. Uh, if it's uh, if it's eighteen years old and you're worried because it's uh, showing symptoms that are different than every other year, it could be a, a disease issue. Could be a, another um, you know an insect problem. You know, when trees defoliate, we've had a lot of you know white fly and. Uh, thrips and and psyllid issues and uh, I'm not sure if you want to look closely at at your leaves and see if there's any evidence of uh, some other problems. Uh, be uh, um, be aware too that sometimes trees, depending on the summer, if we had a long hot summer like this, they can go into an early uh, leaf drop uh, just due to the circumstances. If there nothing has changed and uh, and it's just a hotter than normal summer. Sometimes trees won't have the energy reserves to kind of keep that, uh, support those leaves d- deeper into the fall. And the uh, that can result in an early leaf drop, which means nothing more than the trees just sort of conserving energy reserves. And uh, and uh, that abscisic acid will trigger the uh, those leaves to start to abscise and fall off. So... May not be a problem at all. Again, if you have you know further questions, uh, don't ever hesitate to call us. We, we have such a, a dream team of ar- certified arborists that that work across the valley and love to give you an opportunity to speak with a certified arborist if you need that that little uh, professional's uh, eyes on those problems. Um, feel free to give us a call. Jeff emailed in and wants to know about a citrus trees. Uh, he's got a lot of rumple leaves. The new growth looks good, but eventually it's becoming twisted and discoloring. He wants to know if it's uh, disease, uh, facilids. What's the plant problem? I mean, what's the plant? Citrus. 
Oh, citrus, yeah. Yeah, twisted leaves, you know, gnarled leaves is usually a thrips, you know, problem. And they generally don't uh, cause any anything more than just cosmetic damage to the plant. Uh, the tree, you know, leaves don't fall off. They're not discolored. They usually don't um, uh, usually just stay on the tree, but they look a little bit wrinkled and um, but generally not an issue. Now, for a citrus that's not something that has a leaf drop or... or I guess that's a question. Do evergreens have more, are they more susceptible to diseases because they don't have a leaf drop that would probably cause a lot of insects to leave? Or No, in fact, you know, the fact that they do have a, a longer growing season to be photosynthesizing straight through the year, they probably have, you know, better, arguably more energy reserves to, to stay active, active and healthy. You know, one of our main uh, uh, pruning tips is always to, leave as many leaves on your, your plant as you can as a basic rule uh, because of the, the necessity for the plant to use the energy reserves created through photosynthesis for the tree to, uh, to put on new growth and for defense and for reproduction. The tree needs all those energy reserves. So every time you prune out green tissue, any kind of branch that you remove from a, of a, a tree, you're essentially reducing its photosynthetic capacity, its ability to uh, create the energy reserves it needs to live. So always be able to justify every cut. Quick text. When do you plant sun, the wildflowers again? Right now. You know, right now? Time this, this fall. Yeah, a good time to, to get those. As I said, scarify the soil. You know, break it up the soil surface, throw down the seed, rake it back in, and, and then start watering. Now, if you can answer this one, I've, you're going to be my hero. Uh, I planted a few quarters in my flower pot, but my money tree isn't growing. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> I love it. Someone's got a sense of humor this morning. I like it. <laughs> and then the last one, completely un unrelated to trees, but they want to know what route you drove to go see that transition from uh, you know desert to pines. Yeah, just just past the Swirl Lake, turn off on the Beeline Highway, heading out of Phoenix on 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 US 87. Um, you'll see a, a, a turnoff for four peaks. Uh, just turn um, east off the highway or right off the highway and then follow um, Forest Service Road 143. That'll take you all the way uh, up to the, that Browns um, Peak hike. And you can, you're, at that point, you'll be 18 miles into dirt road. So be, be aware that there's a little bit of a drive. Um, but then you're only 10 miles away from the 188 <laughs> at, at Pumpkin Center. So that's the way we usually drive out. So you go straight out to the 188, and then you can take the freeway, all, you know, the highway. Stop and pumping Pumpkin Center, get a cheeseburger, or Jake's Corner, yep. Jake's Corner, either, either place. Yep, and then just turn. Or the if corner. you really wanted to get adventurous, you could go the other way and come down the Apache, turn you in can't. at Roosevelt Dam, Apache Lake, get another cheeseburger at Tortilla Flats. No, you can't because <laughs> Apache Trail is closed due to the fire. It's still oh, closed. it's still closed. Yeah, it's oh. closed. You'll have to All check right. though. It should open any day. We're hoping it'll open <laughs> soon. So. All right. Well, very good. Now. Uh, Saveatree.com, if you uh, needed that digital list of our to-dos for the month of yes, September. But you've got two uh, Desert Botanical dates coming up. Yeah, two pruning classes um, in uh, in uh, October, November. So if you would like to learn to prune your trees and shrubs better, uh, get on the dbg.org website and uh, sign up for a class. Love to see you there. Saveatree.com, if you'd like to reach John between now and the next Talking Trees program. Be second Saturday in October. <laughs>